It's up for debate on KLJXLP Flagstaff, KJAC 107.1. I'm your host, Cade Reed. Thank you very much for tuning in today. Make sure you tune in every single weekday. I bring you the most debatable content in all of sports, only on the KJAC Sports Podcast on Spotify. We've got a very special guest today, bringing you another thoughtful Thursday, uh, where we take a deep dive into a topic and break down every single part of it and give our feedback and our thoughts on it. We've got Sean Clark, the host of The Candid Clark today. Sean, how are you doing? Doing great. It's been a it's been a crazy, crazy week. My roommate, a diehard Dodgers fan, has had a very good week uh, seeing him celebrate Dodgers from the World Series. It was quite an experience. Baseball is over. It is very sad. But we still have other sports. All is well. Let's let's discuss our topics. Baseball season is over, but I do want to talk a little bit about baseball because the MLB World Series just came to a close. The Dodgers won game six against the Tampa Bay Rays with a three to one victory. Now, the Tampa Bay Rays ended up losing this game, but the big story of, of the night was Justin Turner, who ended up kind of disregarding the coronavirus protocols. If you guys didn't hear about this, this is what happened. Justin Turner, the Dodgers third baseman, tested positive for coronavirus during game six of the MLB playoffs. And there's a lot to break down, so we're going to go through a lot of it. Uh, And he was, the MLB received the positive test in the second inning, and they got into contact with the MLB. And in the sixth, or in the seventh inning, five innings later, he was pulled out of the game and put into isolation. According to the president of the Dodgers, he was put into a doctor's office, isolated until the end of the game. But then at the end of the game, we saw Justin Turner, who had just tested positive for coronavirus without a mask on, on the field, celebrating with his teammates. And not only was he celebrating with his teammates, but he was celebrating with his manager, who, I mean, Dave Roberts is getting up there in age. He's not not the youngest manager anymore. He's been around for a long time. Uh, I mean, he's only 48, but still middle-aged people, uh, the health concerns are there. But Justin Turner knew that he had a positive coronavirus test. He still came out onto the field to celebrate with the, with the organization, with the team. Sean, what are your thoughts on this? Well, this is not a great look for Justin Turner, and it's and it kind of creates a little bit of a cloud over the Dodgers championship. Obviously, there's nothing like cheating or anything. Thank God. Hey, we actually have a champion that did that, that as far as we know, didn't cheat on like, you know, 2017, 2018. So that's good. But it does create a little bit of a dark cloud over this one, considering Justin Turner just completely disregarded COVID protocols and celebrated with his teammates. Now, I like guess. Now, I get that he wanted to be a part of the action, which completely understandable. He just won a championship after years and years of heartbreak. But come on, man. You, you got to have more consideration than that. You may have just infected your entire team as far, like as, as far as we know. Now, obviously, we don't know if he actually gave it to his teammates. We actually don't know this yet. I'm sure that other Dodger players are have getting tested and are getting tested in the coming days. But come on. I know that you wanted to celebrate, but 
coronavirus is extremely contagious to say the least i don't it's it's literally common knowledge how contagious it is and if you're within six feet of people for more than 10 20 seconds then they are at high risk to contract the the virus from you six feet 10 to 20 seconds that has basically been a sign which is why we all wear masks as much as we don't like to look man if you're gonna celebrate with the team at least have a mask on the whole time it's not that hard just just put a mask on you're 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 wearing a surgical mask during the team photo well why couldn't you wore it while celebrating now I will give Justin Turner this. This is this is the moment that he has worked for his entire life. So obviously, there were a lot of emotions that were built up inside of him, and there and and obviously he wanted to celebrate. This is this was like he has reached top notice. This is like one of the biggest moments of his entire life. So I can understand in the moment that. That the that the emotion, the the thrill, the the happiness overcame him. So, this is also on the Dodgers organization for making sure he doesn't that he stays in the room. He, if you if he needs to be isolated because he had a positive COVID test, you should probably make sure he stays in there. Considering you know the Dodgers in the seventh inning took the lead. Should probably make sure he stays in there. So, Justin Turner, it's understandable he wanted to celebrate. He should have had more consideration, but the guy just won a championship. I think he deserves some slack. So, 50% of the blame should go toward the Dodgers organization for leaving him unsupervised and causing this whole situation. I'll give you one better. I think the MLB also was a big problem with with this positive test being just into the game. I mean, Justin Turner tested positive during the second inning, but we know all about these tests and and how they do them before the game and how they have been testing daily, 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 daily tests. But Justin Turner comes down with a test and the MLB doesn't find out until during the game. And then even during the game, it took them five innings to remove Justin Turner. And even though Justin Turner didn't have a, very big game there. He struck out twice and flew out. Those three at-bats that he had should not have taken place at all. Justin Turner should not have been a part of this game whatsoever. And I understand from Justin Turner's point of view that he wants to celebrate and he's been waiting and wanting this World Series for his entire life. But I mean, him celebrating is not as important as the health and safety of all of the people who are on the field and all of the people who those people interact with. I mean, now that this bubble is done, Justin Turner, who may have infected any number of his teammates, any number of his coaches, any number of people in the organization, these people are going to go home. I mean, it's the end of the bubble. People want to see, I mean, the playoff bubble for baseball was, was, wasn't as long as we saw for, for any of the other sports like basketball or anything like that. But I mean, these, players want to go home to their families. They want to see their, their loved ones. And when Justin Turner came onto the field, when Justin Turner didn't remove himself from the situation, understanding that he had a positive test, he put not only himself at 
at risk, but the lives of the family members and the family members of all of his teammates. I just, I can't get behind what Justin Turner did because the MLB and, and the MLBPA had an agreement and Justin Turner, who is a player, part of the MLB Players Association, he's, I mean, all the players are, are represented by the MLBPA. He agreed that if he got this test, he would remove himself. That was the that was the deal. If there was a positive test, these players aren't playing. Even if they're asymptomatic, even if they're not sick, they're not playing. And he completely disregarded the protocols. Now I want to hear your point of view about the MLB and what they could have done better because the second inning is a little bit late to find out that a player tested positive. Uh, but removing them five innings later is another problem in itself. Absolutely. So, so, so to break this down, yeah, they, they found out in the second inning. So what that means is, is that about 15, 30 minutes into the game is when they found they had a positive case. If you're doing all these tests, what's the point of them if the results come back during the game? you got to figure out a way to be more efficient with that. Now, the thing about the NFL is that they, they were not doing tests on game day, which is a problem, but they are doing that now. So they changed. So they changed that. The NFL is the most popular sport is the most profitable sports league in America. And they realized, Hey, we are not testing on game day. We probably should. So we're going to do that. Oh, and by the way, we're heading into week eight. So we're approaching the halfway point of the season. You're trying to tell me that Major League Baseball, the second most profitable league in America, in the in the end of the championship series, you can't figure out a way to get tests before the game starts? Really? This is a bad look for Major League Baseball. As much as Justin Turner and the Dodgers organization should be held accountable, the ultimate villain here is is Major League Baseball. Like I look, I know what Justin Turner did wasn't great. I and the Dodgers, not surprisingly, wasn't great. I get it. There, there should be some repercussions, but I'm sorry. When it comes to the criticism of this in general, it should go toward Major League Baseball because. Not pulling Justin Turner immediately before, or even before the game starts, you just put the Tampa Bay Rays organization at risk too. Because when Justin Turner's up to bat, who is he standing next to? The catcher, Mike Zanino. So if I'm Mike Zanino, I'm furious because, like, wait, you're telling me that the guy had a positive COVID case and he was standing right next to me for for two at bat for two at bats? Really? If I'm Mike Zanino, I'm furious today because of that. How do how does a test only come back in the second inning? And here's the thing. Why does it take five innings? That's even more confusing than the second inning part. Like, yeah, I get maybe logistics happen. Maybe, I don't know, maybe the, the sample got lost. Maybe it took too long. Maybe the machine wasn't working. Maybe there's a power outage. Who knows? Who knows? Something must have happened. But if you knew in the second inning, you need to – Hall, fill in the blank, and get him out of there. You, you need to get him out of there immediately, considering the danger that he poses to 
not only the Dodgers, but the Rays as well. It, it doesn't make sense to me. Pull them out, let the game continue, deal with it later. It wasn't like pulling Justin Turner would have ended the game. The game would have still continued. If when he was pulling the seventh inning, this the game still continued. So it wasn't even like, oh, we can't we can't afford to end this game. Just pull him in the second inning. You already messed up by allowing him to start the game anyway. Just 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 pull him immediately. That that's the that's the single worst part, in my opinion. The the fact that MLB knew this and waited five innings to pull him. What, are you trying to get confirmation or something? No, no, no. Even if there's a chance that the positive case was true, you need to pull them immediately. I have I my my roommate's best friend came into contact with somebody who who got COVID and was supposed supposed to watch the first episode of The Mandalorian tomorrow. Well, guess what? He's not gonna do that because he's isolating himself to make sure he doesn't he doesn't get anyone sick. And he just came into contact. He didn't exactly get, he tested negative, but he's still isolating himself. If a college student can do that, why not, you know, major league baseball? Huh? It's kind of strange. Well, and we are seeing the MLB is set to investigate the situation. Uh, The second inning test came back inconclusive with the follow-up test returning positive. Um, So, we have this positive test from Justin Turner. We see Justin Turner return to the field after the game. We see him celebrating with his teammates and president of baseball for the Dodgers defending his actions, Mookie Betts defending his actions, Dodgers players defending his actions. Not a great look for the Dodgers as a whole, but the MLB really dodged a bullet here with the Dodgers winning in game six. Here's the thing, if the Dodgers lose game six and there's a game seven and game seven is forced, the MLB has a really tough situation on their hands because Justin Turner, who has been a, a, a really constant part of this team, he's he's played for the Dodgers since 2014. He's going to be there for a while longer. Uh, he coming down with this positive test could have infected so many other people. And game seven would have been on the brink of, well, are we going to play game seven? Are we going to test everybody beforehand and actually get the test beforehand? So there was a lot of questions going on there. Um, but I think generally it, it was a bad idea. Justin Turner should have known better. I mean, he's 35 years old and it's a world series. I know it's the greatest moment of your life, but there's going to be moments to celebrate. There's going to be moments where you can really celebrate with your teammates and this just wasn't one of them. I mean, wait until you're negative. Wait until your test comes back negative. Wait until you don't have the coronavirus anymore. And you don't want to get people sick in general. But I want to switch to a little bit different of a topic, uh, still involving the World Series. Uh, the Dodgers ended up beating the race three to one, like I said. But I think a lot of it came down to a big time decision from Tampa Bay Rays manager. Now, Blake Snell, the starting pitcher for the Rays, pitched 73 innings in the game. He went 5.1 innings, and once he gave up his second hit of the game, which was only a single, uh, and that was a single to Barnes, the decision to pull 
Blake Snell was made. And following that decision, Mookie Betts hit a double, and then there was a wild pitch from Nick Anderson that ended up scoring the game-tie breaking run. And it was a 1-1 game at that point. And then Corey Seager, who we saw how great Corey Seager was this postseason, reached on an infield single. He ended up scoring second run for Mookie Betts, and they took the 2-1 lead, which they never lost. So speaking on that decision to take out Blake Snell, do you think it was the right call? I'll tell you what, when Blake Snell was pulled, Twitter absolutely lost it. It was my entire Twitter feed was literally everyone bashing Kevin Cash for pulling Blake Snell. Even Patrick Mahomes, the face, the new face of the NFL was blasting it. And when that happens, oh boy, you know, you know, you got a problem here. And even though everyone is saying the same thing, I have to say it too, because I've looked into this and the results are conclusive. Yeah, this was, this was the dumbest managerial decision since, since Grady Little in 2003 kept Pedro Martinez in over, with over 100 pitches in the 2003 ALCS and the Yankees came back, sent the game in extra innings where Aaron Boone, the current manager, Hit a, hit a walk-off home run in, in extra innings to send the Yankees to the World Series and one of the most famous collapses of all time. This was this was the dumbest manager's decision since. And that's saying a lot because A.J. Hinch was also stupid in Game 7 of the World Series last season. I'm still I'm still fuming that he decided to take out Granky and then you and then you don't even put in Garrett Cole, which was dumb. But here's the two reasons why this decision was completely stupid. Number one, Blake Snell was not only dealing, he was on 73 pitches. This was not like, oh, he's over 100 pitches. Oh, he was starting to give up bases. He gave up a second hit of the game. He was on a two-hit two shutout, man. Two-hit shutouts, really good. You know how rare that is in modern baseball to, to have that kind of performance? A two-hit shutout in the sixth inning, that, that's really good, especially against the Dodgers. He struck out Mookie twice. Mookie couldn't touch him. The, the Probably the best hitter on the Dodgers couldn't touch him. Oh, and by the way, Mookie Betts was the first batter that Nick Anderson faced. Oh, and Nick Anderson. That's the second reason why this decision was done. If you're going to pull Blake Snell, at least put in your best reliever like Yarbrough or Fairbanks. That would have been fair. Somewhat. So it would have been a dumb decision taking your ace out. But if you put in your best relievers, okay, that's not too bad. But you put in Nick Anderson, who statistically has been the worst pitcher for the Tampa Bay races postseason. What are you doing? Now, everyone is start, has started to blast analytics, which I'm sorry, that that is a bit unfair. I want to address that. The shot at analytics is very unfair here because – yeah, analytics may have been used, but to me, analytics wasn't the problem. If you look at the analytics, it was still a dumb move. No matter, no matter how deep you look into analytics-wise, it was still the wrong move. At the end of the day, it was a dumb decision by Kevin Cash as he was overthinking it. And it was, it was either Joe Buck or John Smoltz on the broadcast that said it perfectly. I can't remember which one that said it, but one of them said... Managers nowadays try to come up with reasons to take their pitcher out of the game, not keep them in the game. 
And I think that sums it up perfectly. Managers are way too trigger happy with pulling pitchers. And I hate it personally. If Blake Snell is dealing and has only 73 pitches, you keep him in there. Plain and simple. Just like AJ Hinch last year, you shouldn't find a way to take your pitcher out of the game. You keep him in there. Dave Roberts kept Julio Urias in in game seven of the NLCS and game six of the World Series, and Julio Urias closed it out. It's, it's very, it's very upsetting. Yeah, and Kevin Cash said that there was no plan in place to take Blake Snell out of the game. They didn't have a set plan of when he was going to come out of the game, but going up against the top of the order for the third time, Kevin Cash didn't want to see him face off with Corey Seager and Mookie Betts uh, a third time around. But when you look at the first two times Blake Snell faced both of those batters, you got four strikeouts. Four at-bats for the two best batters for the Dodgers, four strikeouts. Blake Snell was pitching his best baseball of the season in the most important game of the season, and Kevin Cash took him out. I understand that this is how the Tampa Bay Rays got here. They got here by taking their pitchers out early and relying on the bullpen. So I get it. I get why that is a long-term strategy that the, the Rays employed that really worked out well for them. But when you're in a game that doesn't come down to how many arms you're going to have for the next game. It comes down to who is going to provide you the best opportunity to win. And with Blake Snell pitching the way that he was pitching, there was no other option. He was giving them the best opportunity to win the game. The score was one to zero and the offense was stagnant. I mean, Randy Rosarino was the only offense that this Tampa Bay Rays team saw the entire night. And it was his one home run in the first inning. He also had another hit later on, but Five hits for the Rays. There was no offense. The best chance the Rays had was keeping Blake Snell in because obviously they couldn't put more than one point on the board. Tampa Bay didn't have any offense. But, I mean, you have to understand that the best pitcher in the game, 73 pitches, wasn't showing signs of being tired, wasn't showing signs of, of losing his game. He wasn't getting worse as the game went on. He was still pitching the same, same ball. He was still playing as well as any pitcher in the MLB has this season. And taking him out of that game after 5.1 innings in his biggest start ever has to be a painful, painful move for Blake Snell. I mean, that has to hurt Blake Snell that his manager didn't trust him enough to go 25 more pitches, to face two more batters who he already struck out two times apiece. I just don't understand how Kevin Cash didn't trust Blake Snell. I'm going to say something that's a little bit drastic. And usually we say this in reaction, but I've sat on it for a couple days and I genuinely believe this. If I'm Blake Snell, I'm demanding a trade. Plain and simple. I know that may be a drastic, a shocking thing to say. And I know a lot of people were saying that he should after the game. And it's usually an in-the-moment kind of thing. But no, I'm, I'm sitting here on Thursday morning, a day and a half after the game, and I genuinely think he should. Blake Snell won the Cy Young in 2019, right? Blake Snell got better as the season went along. He struggled early in the season. He he really did wasn't able to find his group. But in the postseason, he had some great outings. He helped the Rays win game two. Oh, yeah, game two. Rays won that game. 
Hmm, interesting. So Blake Snell, just dealing. He is Cy Young pitcher, one of the best in baseball, one of the best lefties. The Dodgers couldn't touch him, and he, and he gives up one hit, and he's pulled. So what that tells me is that Blake Snell was not trusted to get the job done in the biggest game of his life. This was the biggest start Blake Snell has ever made in his life. And when he was at his best, I've never seen Blake Snell this dominant ever. Blake Snell was dominant. And he gets up his second hit and he's pulled. Why would I want to pitch for a team where I have the shortest leash of all time, where I only am able to give up, I'm only able to give up two hits and a shutout in a do or die game and get pulled? There are a lot of teams in Major League Baseball that would not have made that move. I can guarantee you that. And I can guarantee other managers that saw this would think to themselves, man, if I had Blake Snell in the situation, I would have kept him in. The only thing Blake Snell realizes this, if I'm Blake Snell, I, I demand a trade, and I want and I want to make sure that I am traded to a team that's not going to pull me in this situation, plain and simple. And Blake Snell was visually unhappy that he was getting traded for good reason, or excuse me, that he was getting taken out of the game. And I think that was for good reason. He was having one of the best games of his career. He was throwing a gem, and that was cut short by his manager. And that's never the situation that you want to see when your pitcher is playing so well. I mean, Blake Snell, who who had the lead going into this, into when he was taken out of the game, left the game, watched five pitches, and they were already trailing. They were trailing five pitches after Blake Snell had entered the game. I mean, come on. You guys have to understand that when you have a guy who's pitching as well as he is, and the single that, that was hit by Barnes, by the catcher Barnes, was a blooper that wasn't really a a super great hit. It was just a, a normal single. It wasn't like he hit an extra base home run. It's not like he hit a double that was off the back of the wall. He hit a single that landed in front of the outfielders. It wasn't a, a hit that that caused like a bunch of commotion in the stadium. There was one single that Blake Snell gave up. Keep in mind his second hit that he had allowed in the game and he was taken out. I mean, the decision-making from both of these teams during the World Series, the Dodgers allowing Justin Turner back onto the field, allowing the, the post-game celebration with a positive COVID test uh, on the field without a mask on with his teammates, with the players, with the trophy, with all of that. And then the Rays, on the other hand, who take their best player out of the game on the most important play, on the most important inning. I mean, this is the World Series. You guys are trailing three to two, and you have a guy who's pitching absolutely great and you take him out of that one. There's just no reason for it. That's going to do it for this segment of Thoughtful Thursday. Thank you very much, Sean, for coming in. And make sure you guys check out Sean at The Candid Clark on social medias. You guys can check out his podcast at The Candid Clark. It's on the KJX Sports Podcast as well. It's a great podcast. You guys should definitely check it out. Sean, what kind of content are you guys putting up on your uh, on your blog? Well, currently I've written a couple briefings about some trades that have happened uh, this week, especially Carlos Dunlap being traded to Seattle, which is a big move. And as usual, and on Thursday, 
which is when this is recorded. Uh, I'm posting my week seven NFL takeaways where I have a couple in-depth analysis about the Titans third down defense. So be sure to check that out. Check out Sean's article about the Titans third down defense, about the NFL recap, all kinds of stuff that Sean has posted. He does a great job and he gives a lot of information that a lot of people don't really see. So make sure to check that out at the Cannon Clark on social media, his website, all that stuff is linked through there. Uh, but thank you, Sean, for coming in. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to jump in with Thursday night football preview. Stay tuned. The Atlanta Falcons are taking on the Carolina Panthers this Thursday night. And this is a big game for both of these teams. For one thing, the Panthers are in a situation where they're not sure if they're a playoff caliber team. They're not sure if Teddy Bridgewater is going to be their quarterback of the future. They're not sure if they got the right head coach. They're asking a lot of questions to themselves at this point, and rightfully so. They're a three and four team heading into this week nine matchup, and they haven't seen their best player all the year long. So, I mean, they've had some success, but without Christian McCaffrey, it's really hard to gauge how good this Carolina Panthers team is. For the Atlanta Falcons, we pretty much know who they are. I mean, they're coming into this game at one and six. They've been a really bad team all year long, and even against some not-so-great teams, they have been unsuccessful. Now, in the first matchup in Atlanta, the Carolina Panthers took this matchup, and Teddy Bridgewater really took apart this Atlanta Falcons defense. He had 313 yards and two touchdowns. Robbie Anderson played well, and Matt Ryan and, and this offense played all right, but they just couldn't keep up with this Panthers offense. Now, is this going to be the same story while they go into Carolina? I just, I think it has to be. Now, first things first is the Atlanta Falcons are a team that are ready to tank. I mean, they are a talented roster. Don't get me wrong. They have pieces that are very, very good. But when you look at the rest of their roster and some other parts, there's just emptiness. I mean, as far as this offensive line goes, it's been rough. And Todd Gurley's had a rough time running all season long because offensively, they're just not getting much blocking ahead of them. Now, defensively, they have some youth but they have some spots that they're really missing gaps. Their pass rush is pretty non-existent as Grady Jarrett's been their best pass rusher from the interior of the defensive line. And they were going to try to rely on some, some big time performances from, from some of their guys like Takaris McKinley and Dexter or Dante Fowler, who was supposed to step up and, and really replace Vic Beasley really well. And we knew Vic Beasley was having his own issues, but Dante Fowler has not replaced him. And this Atlanta Falcons team has found themselves in a really tough situation where they're not really sure if they're ready to tank or if they want to give this offense, give Matt Ryan and Julio Jones an opportunity to show that they really are a playoff team. Now, I think this Falcons team should want to lose this game. I think it's time to rebuild. They have young pieces to start with, and I think they have assets that they can move to really capitalize on the future because the present of this team isn't very, very talented. One in six record. They haven't really played the most talented teams. They lost to the Cowboys on what should have been a win. I mean, they find ways to lose games every single week, and it happens just about every week, but it happens every single year. I mean, the one year they made the Super Bowl against the New England Patriots, we all know what happened there. 28-3 to comeback. The Patriots came back. The Falcons and Matt Ryan's led team has 
found ways to lose in the past. And I think that's going to continue for them until they find a new quarterback, until they find a new scheme. Obviously they fired their head coach. They're going to be looking for a new head coach, whether they keep the interim or if they move forward, but they have been having all of these issues for so long. And I think there's just a perfect match for them in Justin Fields. I mean, Justin Fields is an incredible talent at the college level and I've never really been a big fan of Ohio State quarterbacks I've never really liked what they've been able to do or how they performed but Justin Fields has shown that he's really a good fit for the modern NFL and the modern NFL is really changing we're not seeing as much quarterbacks like Matt Ryan I mean the offense is going to change and when you have guys like Justin Fields who have so much ability with their legs and so much ability outside of the pocket I mean it's tough to pass up on that now, he hasn't been running quite as much this season as he had in the past, but he still has gotten a, a decent amount of attempts in, and I expect him to really play and run the ball a lot moving forward. Now, if he can continue to play at the level he's played at his entire career and he continue to pass the way he's been, I think he would be a great fit for an offense that is already suited and ready for a young quarterback to take over right away. I mean, Calvin Ridley is ready to step into a number one receiver role. He's been that good. And don't forget Julio Jones is there too. I do think that they should move on from Julio Jones, try to find a replacement for him, somebody younger, somebody cheaper, some maybe a draft pick. I mean, they have wide receivers to replace. I think they need to move on and completely take apart the, the older pieces and, and understand that it's time to rebuild. So I think that this week it's going to be the – Carolina Panthers that take this game I mean the Falcons don't really have too much more to play for this season and although the Panthers aren't really showing that they're a playoff team at this point they haven't had their best player so we haven't even seen them at their best so I expect Carolina to break even this weekend the Atlanta Falcons to fall to one and seven that's going to do it for Up for Debate today. Thank you guys very much for tuning in. Make sure you tune in every single weekday where I will be bringing you the most debatable content in all of sports, only on KLJXLP Flagstaff, KJAC 107.1, also on the KJAC Sports Podcast on Spotify. Make sure to follow us on Spotify. Also follow me on social media at the underscore Cade Reed. We're already posting updates for the show, different things like that. I will see you guys next time.